that you guys let us know if there's anything going on with the audio that we need to fix video etc um let me do this let me remind everyone to go to hankstrange.com there you guys can find all the different ways that you can get in touch with us and follow us on social media platforms etc i know a lot of that stuff is changing rapidly um nowadays um if you go into the strangeaholics tab on the website you can find all of that stuff and also while you're there on the site you can uh pick up patches from us so here are some of our what i call now kind of like old school patches we've got the uh, broadcast logo as well as the blaster one that you guys can get on there and we have the uh, new 2020 was hell in a handbasket patch um because it was but it might look like a dream coming up here pretty soon if you guys get stuff while supplies last lola's throwing in some uh some stickers right there and that's our grenade sticker that we use in the hell in a handbasket so all right let me throw my guests into the mix here let's see let's see how we're gonna do this all right let's throw everyone up here i'm gonna smash the open button and we're gonna get going on this welcome back to the Hank Strange situation. All right, guys, Lifestyle smash those subscribe buttons, hit the thumbs up, ring the bell so you can be notified every time we go live. We are live, and uh, we've got a new guest. We've got Evan Hill of Hill People Gear. Evan, we do jazz hands. Everyone has to do it. Doesn't matter how. There you go. Tough guy. There you go. Jazz hands, everyone. We're taking it back from the terrorists. That's what we're doing. We are live here. I hope you guys out there have your big girl panties on. This is episode 707 of the Who Move My Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Hank Strange. Uh, today, our guests, as I said, are Evan Hill of Hill People Gear. And I've already seen some folks out there saying that uh, that they love your gear. Let me see. Hold on. I'm going to go back here and put it up. Razor JB says uh, some of the best gear ever made, used for a very long time, practical, durable, made the right way. Welcome to the show, Evan. Well, I guess I can leave now because it's <laughs> made, right? <laughs> hey, it's great to be here. I appreciate it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, thanks for coming in. And of course, we have my friend Sean Curtis joining us. And Sean is the one who suggested that we get you on. So, you know, full disclosure... Um, I am not familiar with Hill People Gear. This is my first time. I'll show the website. We'll talk to Evan. We'll talk to Sean, and we'll all get to know this stuff together. But Sean, how are you? Thanks for bringing Hill People Gear to our attention. I'm doing well, and I'm happy to do it. I love supporting, uh, first off, great companies, um, and uh, second of all, Colorado-based companies, too. So um, there was quite a story behind how I found Hill People Gear I'm looking forward to sharing that with you guys tonight. Oh, awesome. Okay, yes, right. absolutely. We'll get into that and all things right now. I would ask everyone who's hanging out there with us to smash those thumbs ups. If you guys haven't already done it, uh, we really, I, I really do appreciate it here. Uh, you know, it helps us with the algorithm, so, so hit those thumbs ups if you don't mind. Um, one of the things before we get into this I want to share with everyone if you're if you're watching us um, from your phone or you know computer whatever, I'm I'm just gonna run in the screen right here for a second. So let's see here. Let me. Uh, all right. So if you go to, 
Lifestyles of the Locked and Loaded, and you take a look at it here, there's this community tab. If you go click on the community tab, you'll see we put up a poll here, and I would invite everyone, even, even our guests here tonight, if you guys could do it, to go check out this poll, uh, make a comment in there, hit the like button on that poll, all that kind of stuff. And if you're, if you're curious, like, why are we doing this right now? I will tell you guys, we have been marginalized by uh, YouTube for a long time around here. That's That's been going on for, um, I mean, years. And one of the things, um, actually Babyface P brought that to my attention, one of the things that's going on is that, um, you know, by using the polls, for some reason, if you use the community tab, it helps your channel out. So there's a whole thing on this I can get into with everyone later if you guys care to do that. But it actually helps out your channel because YouTube created this thing and in the beginning it didn't work so well. And every, so many people were using it and it was slow and then they, everyone stopped using it and then YouTube um, kept it there but did tweaked things with the algorithm to make it so if anyone used it, it was better for them. So we're gonna try this out and see how it is and you all could help me out by, uh, by, by going there and uh, liking it and commenting on it or even uh, participating in the poll. It's not gonna take you all too long, so. Um, I don't know. So either one of you guys, before we get into our discussion, do you have to go through all these things on social media to figure out how to keep going? I don't. I can tell you, I just throw stuff out there and kind of hope that it does well. And um, I occasionally get feedback about stuff. But mm -hmm. then again, I don't have a company like Evan does. <laughs> yeah, Evan, it's probably a nightmare for you, right? You know, it's... So far, we've been okay. Like, I've got, you know, my friends over at SE Knives, because it's a knife, mm -hmm. like, they, they have a devil of a time. You know, they're always fighting a battle. Uh, because our focus is backpacks uh, and, you know, weapons, which we think of as tools, are kind of on the periphery of what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, so far, we've not been in the crosshairs. Um, we, we haven't had huge problems with reach on Instagram. Uh, we have a thriving uh, Facebook uh, owners group that hasn't been a problem. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so far, so good. Uh, I have tried to do some promotions, and they'll go to the website and see one picture of a gun and deny the promotion, and that's just part of the course these days, of course. Right. Um, but overall, we've been fortunate. You know, some of our friends in the industry are having a much worse time than we are, at least up to this date. Yeah. Um, I, I would, uh, you know... I don't wish it on you. That's the, that's the best way I could put that. Um, I think that they're going through phases of this right now. So I know, for example, Twitter actually permanently deplatformed um, the owner of My Sleep Pillow. And I saw that in the news, and I probably have oh, wow. that. Uh, yeah, Facebook did it too. Lola said Facebook did it also. Um, yeah. That kind of stuff is not cool. That's kind of what we're going up against right now. And, sure. you know, I think when they knock one person or one group down, then they go after other people. Ultimately, what we all need to do with that is, one, fight back against it. It's uh, clearly, blatantly, um, you know, not right, unconstitutional, etc. But then we should also find, um, I think, some alternatives to that so that we can still keep our voice out there. Because it doesn't matter what's right or what's wrong. If they're able to do it to us and get away with it and we don't have a voice, then folks out there in the world don't realize it's happening. 
Yeah, yeah. we've been blessed with, uh, we've got a great customer base that we built slowly over time. Uh, mm -hmm. So we, we have forums on our website that used to be very active. Uh, right now, most of the activity is on Facebook, but in, in some ways, that's our fallback plan. Uh, mm -hmm. We are on MeWe and have been for a while, but oh, cool. right now, the traffic is there. So. Yeah. And then, of course, there's always news. There's always what? Newsletters. Yes. I think e emails. Email lists. So. Yeah. yeah. Emails, very, very important. Uh, kind of old school, <laughs> but very <Yeah>. relevant. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, even the forum old school, but it works. Yeah, absolutely. That too. That too. We may have to go back to that. You know, we, we were t we've been talking about this on the podcast. Um, I don't know if you, either one of you guys can use ham radios, but people have been saying, hey, you better get your ham radio skills up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's no joke. There's uh, certainly some of our friends, some of the people we're networked with and mm -hmm. in various ways are pushing hard into that space. I mean, a lot of them are folks that have already been there, but kind of beefing up their capability and setting up spares. And mm -hmm. I don't know. It's a funny thing to think about, but it's also not completely irrational. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so listen, let's let's do this. Let's do one step at a time here, because as I said, for myself and for lots of folks out there, I see. Uh, let me see who was it that said this. I think it was DCG 44s. Uh, by the way, big shout out to Ghost Tactical. I see Ghost Tactical in, in the chat. Um, shout out to him. We need to actually probably get him back here on the show soon. But uh, who was it? OK, um, DCG 44 says, so I got to ask. What is Hill People Gear? And along the lines of that question, Evan, I would like to ask you if you could just introduce yourself to the audience, tell them how you got into making gear, you know, what's the whole mission statement behind Hill People Gear? Yeah, sure, sure. It's, it's kind of fun. I haven't done this in a long time. Uh, so basically, I, I kind of grew up in the outdoors. You know, my dad was an outdoorsman, professional guide in Alaska. I lived all over the West, uh, Eagle Scout. Uh, then I was a wildland firefighter on the Wyoming Hotshots, um, and then I went and got a desk job. And and during that period of time, I was living in Seattle doing the dot-com thing, which was exciting at the time. Um, I kind of got away from the outdoors. And uh, when my kids got to be uh, – right before they went into school, I was looking at how things were in Seattle, and I was like, man, I don't want my kids growing up in this environment. Uh, so we moved to a, a town – that at the time was a conservative town, uh, east of the Cascades, uh, Bend, Oregon. And going back to the mountains meant I really, I started spending time in the outdoors. And uh, so what I found is gear had evolved from where it was in the 90s to where it was, you know, in the 2000s, essentially. Um, uh, gear had, but a lot of things had changed. Gear had gotten much more lightweight, um, but also... Basically, what happened is the through hikers, these folks who hike like the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, back in the 90s, outdoor gear design was influenced by mountaineering. That's what was cool. So all the gear was heavy duty. Uh, it was reliable. It was meant for austere conditions, whereas hiking these long trails is a much um, – it's basically not austere conditions. Yes, you're in the woods, but – you know, particularly the Appalachian Trail, you're, you know, it's very well supported, even the Continental Divide Trail. So the gear got lighter to the point that austere conditions really, you didn't want to take that gear into any kind of austere condition. 
And that's, that became what influenced the design of all the gear that you find at places like REI. So here I was trying to put my kit back together, trying to assemble my outdoor package, and the stuff that I needed wasn't there. Uh, and, and so meanwhile, I, uh, you know, after the dot-com bubble, I was sort of underemployed, and part of it was that I had moved to this small town where I was considered overqualified for the jobs in my field. So I had always done some sewing, so I started sewing products. And um, I was a member of a, of a forum at that point and threw some pictures of these products up, and um, folks were like, I'd buy that. Light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. I know startups. I knew how to do a website. I figured I could go outsource the product development because I prototyped it. I patterned it. Uh, and so my brother Scott and I uh, went in together on this venture and uh, started the business. And it's just basically been slow organic growth. Uh, we started in 2010 with our first product um, and you know we've just expanded the product line every year since then and the business has grown every year since then. Uh, I think it's four years ago now that I, I was able to go full-time, first full-time employee and now we've got a total of three full-time employees and then a couple half-time employees and Scott just went partial on his day job so we're, it's safe to say we're a going concern. And, and, you know, our tagline is real use gear for backcountry travelers. And, and so basically what that means to us is it's not overbuilt tactical gear. I like to make stuff as light as I can, but it has to be heavy enough, heavy duty enough, practical enough, reliable enough that I can walk out the front door, not knowing if I'll be back for six months and know that my gear is not going to fail me. Okay. Awesome. Did you change your name to Hill just so you can call it Hill people gear? Or how did you how did you come up with that? Because it seems convenient. <laughs> yeah, it, obviously it worked the other way, right? Yeah, you know, yeah I'm just kidding. The, yeah, we got a little vignette there at the bottom of our website. That, mm -hmm. You know, I, my brother and I both majored in anthropology, so mm -hmm. you know, a lot of uh, you know we've always had an interest in Native American studies, and so you, you know we think about primitive peoples and how they interface with their environment, and you know there's a, most tribes call themselves the people, right? Mm -hmm. But then there were, there were people who self-identified as being the hill people, right? We know who the people are, but we're the ones who live up in the hills. So that's where it came from, and it was just convenient that our last name was Hill. It worked. Awesome, awesome. Um, so, Sean, you said you have an interesting story of how you came across this. You want to uh, key us in on that right now? Yeah, absolutely. I started back in 20 – oh, man. Let me go back even further. Uh, moved to Colorado in 1987 and um, started getting into uh, outdoor activities, hiking, biking, all of that kind of stuff, and um, became familiar with the main brands that kind of cater to those types of activities. Um, then around 1990, oh, probably one or 1990, I got involved in search and rescue on a volunteer basis with the sheriff's office. And, um, man, that led to uh, a pretty big change in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I joined the sheriff's reserves at that point and eventually became a sheriff's deputy. Um, the sheriff in Colorado is constitutionally responsible for search and rescue. They are also responsible for wildland fire. So, um, Within a very short time, I found myself um, responding to wildland fires, uh, responding to search and rescue incidents, uh, and I also became an EMT. So uh, pretty much 
anything that I could go out into the woods and do, uh, if I had a light bar on and I was driving it or, or flying to it or doing something like that. And what I noticed pretty quickly was there was a huge divide in the companies that sold gear that enabled you to carry a gun comfortably, mm-hmm. easily, and accessibly, and all the other companies that sold backpacks and tents and, and stuff like that. Um, also, everything was colored bright red or bright orange <laughs> or a nice turquoise color. Yeah. And, you know... Were you I, trying I to be more gray man or what's the... You know, I, I didn't want to necessarily announce my position if I was out walking around in the woods looking for someone right. um, or if I was just out on a hike on my own. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you want to be highly visible. Search and rescue would be a, a great time to do that, mm-hmm. especially during hunting season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there might be times when I may not want to draw attention to myself. And most of the options out there... Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. And, and, and the one thing that absolutely uh, ultimately led me to finding Hill People gear was everywhere I went, I carried a gun with me. Mm-hmm. I always had a pistol at least with me. Mm-hmm. And the way I typically carried was how I carried on duty. And that was outside the waistband, uh, three o'clock position, you know, like I'm used to, like I was trained on. And if you want to carry any kind of serious backpack, uh, you're going to encounter a, uh, encounter a big problem pretty quickly, and that's your hip belt, right? Yeah, it if, keeps if bumping you, bumping it down or something. I, if you've got something that you know, it was not unreasonable for me to get a call at noon and be at twelve thousand foot elevation an hour and a half later, and not certain when I'm going to get back to civilization. So I had to have a pack with me. That, like Evan said earlier, was ready to go for a while and mm-hmm. could sustain me. Um, and to carry weight across distances, it's it's easier if you take that and put it back on your hips. So you're not going to comfortably put a hip belt on top of your gun. One, that's not going to be comfortable, and two, you're not going to be able to access it. So, so I started trying to figure out alternatives. Um, there were a few holsters like Phobos and, and some other companies out there that had some things that you could clip into a belt, but they weren't very strong. They weren't solid. I didn't feel good about the retention. And um, I was concerned about losing items out there. And a gun is certainly not an item that you want to lose. So uh, I kept searching. Uh, and the Wild and Fire Evolution created a, um, a chest harness. And Evan, I'm sure you remember those, the old okay. black chest harness that had the, the radio sling in it, right? Um, finally, started people started to think about um, how, how could we incorporate that? And there were a few products, but they were always still Molly-based where you could get something and like you could get a Molly chest plate and um, put it on with your pack and not have the issue on your belt. And you could then take your holster and mount it there on your chest. Right. Mm -hmm. But now you're walking around and you're going up trails and maybe you're saying hi to people and you've got a gun and maybe a badge or maybe a sheriff symbol or something like that. And and your backpack. So that still wasn't optimal. So I just kept looking and uh, finally happened across Kill people gear, and I really think I found the um, perfect solution. You want me to show you? Yeah, which one is it? I could pull up the website, or well, if you have it there, you can absolutely show it to us. 
So I've got a couple of products here. Okay. Um, this outer piece is um, it's for binoculars. It's a case that you can uh, put your binoculars in, and it's a semi-rigid case, um, so it holds its shape, and you can put your uh, binoculars in there. And that just mollies on. And I really like that. That's been um, pretty handy for getting out and you know having your binoculars handy and still being able to see everything. Let me uh, take this off and I'll show you the actual product that I'm talking about. Now, the thing about this that I like is it absolutely incorporates all of the things that I like having with me. There have been a lot of different times on search and rescue situations where I have come across people who were separated from their pack. And that can make a huge difference on your survivability when you get up into the mountains, especially if you're not from the area or if you're not really familiar with uh, survival type situations. Um, this, I ended up getting from Hill People Gear. Hold on, let me make sure. Okay, I'm back on you, right? And the thing that I like about it is it's got a harness. I can slip right into it, clip it on, and it's got four belts that go two over my shoulders and two around my ribs. Mm -hmm. And it is absolutely wonderful. Why? Because I can carry extra gear. That's it right there. There's one like it. There's Kevin. Hey, Kevin, if you're out there. Mm -hmm. um, also, Hank, the beautiful thing about it is I can use it to conceal mm -hmm. a piece of plastic. Mm -hmm. Now, this right, is a piece right. of plastic. Yes, <laughs> which some obviously we yeah we have to spell that out for some people. This is a piece yeah. of plastic. <laughs> yes, in uh, most cases. <laughs> wonderful thing about it yeah. is I have concealability. Mm -hmm. I can open it up on either side. So if I'm a left-handed person, I can I can do that. Um, and I also have a mini survival kit. Just a few things that I keep in here that are absolutely crucial. And I can wear this comfortably with any backpack. Now, obviously, I prefer Hill People Gear because of what they stand for and, and um, the brand and the quality that they have. But um, this was the ultimate solution because it allowed me to carry my pistol in the woods without necessarily having to automatically introduce a firearm into any situation when I meet with someone. I've got concealability. I've got really good retention. And it's up handy where I can absolutely get to it quickly when I need to. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, and and uh, by the way, there are pictures and things like that that we can, that I'm going to run in here from the website. Uh, but what do you think about that, Evan? Right. So that's uh, that was one of our two original products that I mm -hmm. prototyped. Uh, and that, that specific model was the recon kit bag. At this point, the line is multiplied, uh, but kit bags are these chest rigs that, and I was trying to solve the same problem because I was living in Bend where I had a concealed carry permit, uh, but, and even though it was conservative at the time, it was like 40% completely liberal. And I, it's, it's just not polite to freak people out on the trail. There's just really no reason to do that. And so, you know, ironically, when I, when I first developed the kit bag, way back in the day when I was in high school and college in Colorado, I wore a pair of Carhartt overalls that I had sewn an extra panel of fabric behind 
and I kept pistol in there. And so this was like, hey, I just need that Carhartt overall top as a standalone harness, and that's kind of where it came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we found, and, and Sean alluded to, is, yeah, it's great for concealed carry, but all that stuff that you always want with you regardless ends up living in the kit bag. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean's probably like me in that he's got a day pack and a multi-day pack almost always loaded. Right. And there's a core, there's core stuff that you keep switching back and forth from pack to pack. Well, now that just lives in your kit bag and you always have it. And like Sean said, if you walk away from camp, you know, like you're in a blizzard in the middle of the night, you know, mm-hmm. we go snow camping and go outside. Some folks use a pee bottle. I've never been a pee bottle guy. I'm gonna <laughs> right? Yeah, some of us but, just can't but, get it in there. You know, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh-huh. so anyway, you know, like your odds of stepping outside of your tent in the middle of a blizzard in Colorado in the winter and getting disoriented, they're not nothing, right? So mm-hmm. throw on your kit bag. Sometimes you sleep in your kit bag, so you always have your stuff with you. Uh, so that was the recon kit bag Sean had. We have a whole bunch. I personally use the star kit bag, which is a search and rescue kit yep. bag. I don't know if you've even seen that, Sean. That's the yeah. one I use these days. Yeah, if um, we were looking on the I, website, where would I uh, specifically go? I, so I was showing the snubby kit bag. I was showing that so one. So if you go under products and then kit bags, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of the sub-tab. And, right, and here. all of the different models are listed there okay so there's a runner's a runner's kit recon kit snubby kit uh there's a runner's harness uh lifter straps um yeah and hank one of the cool features about um all of those kits uh kit bags is that you can wear them loose or you can absolutely snug them down um you know where they're comfortable but even with a loaded piece of plastic in your bag you can uh absolutely run and not have it jostling all over the place Mm -hmm. yeah these are cool what um so just you know what kind of prices are we looking at here i noticed looking at the site um uh okay so like i see the recon i think is 95 bucks Right. Yeah. yeah. So the kit bag range in price right around a hundred bucks. And mm-hmm. uh, part of the deal there is that our manufacturing is in the U.S. out of U.S. materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't run a factory ourselves from the very beginning. So First Spear, I don't know if you know the, that company, um, high-end you know, tactical gear, military gear. They have a lot of SOCOM contracts. Those are the guys who do our manufacturing for us. Okay. And, uh, our uh, our second run of kit bags was actually the second run of products that ever came off of their line. So we've been with them from the beginning as we've grown and they've grown. But they're located out there in Fenton, Missouri. Okay. Um, so, you know, so our prices, uh, we always try to get them to a point that we ourselves would be willing to buy at that price point. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, with our products, you're supporting American workers and American materials. And, you know, for me... You know, you, you, who took away my freedom? Mm-hmm. You know, to our way of thinking, part of liberty is where's your supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. You're not really free if you don't have a supply chain that's that's not free, right? But, yeah. So, you know, so so we believe in supporting American companies, and even better if they're kind of small family-owned companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because it's all about grassroots independence, and and the more that we can drive that, you know, we got a page on our website, a suppliers page, where you can read about all the different relationships we've built in the industry. But uh, mm-hmm. any rate, sometimes people have sticker shock on the price. Those yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think it's reasonable. Yeah, like you're saying, it's uh, you're making it here in America. 
Um, now, what you're saying is that you guys are subcontracting that out to a company in Missouri, right? So you guys do the Correct. design kind right. of a thing. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, people, uh, people sometimes say, well, why don't you open up a factory? And I said, mm -hmm. well, first of all, I don't want to spend my time running a factory. Right. And second of all, there's no way that I can sink the several million, million dollars into a physical plant that mm -hmm. those guys did. Mm -hmm. There's machines they have and can buy that I wouldn't be able to until I was twice the size, you know, yeah. as we are. So yeah. it, it's a great relationship. It works out yeah. well. It's probably, I mean, this is just my guess of it, right? Um, it's probably making those bags more affordable than if you actually went into the business of owning all those machines, the buildings, oh, yeah. et cetera. Right. Mm -hmm. And it gives us first capacity. You know, we get contracts from time to time where, you know, normal production on a bag of ours might be 100 pieces a month for a big pack, and we get a 300-piece order. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they've got the burst capacity to scale up and do that. So it, yeah. it works for that. Do they ever let uh, – do they ever let – or can you arrange for someone to go up there and do a how it's made? I enjoy doing how it's made videos on my main channel. Um, I think that's something I've always found interesting. I, I'm sure they would love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. I can put you in contact with their, with their media guys. Yeah, I would love to do that this year, actually. So um, you know, uh, we'll we'll work that out after this. But I think I think when folks out there see that, they see the process that it actually takes to make a bag or make a couple of things then they understand why, hey, this is a good price. If you think about it like you making that bag, <laughs> you know, that's, and I know some people enjoy that stuff, and that's actually why even I get a big audience for the How It's Made things. Sure. Yeah, but I look at those things and I go, this is why I'm going to pay and just buy this thing. Right, right. You know. I'll tell you, just a funny anecdote there. There's a guy up in Washington State, uh, McHale, who's mm -hmm. been making custom packs since the 70s. Mm -hmm. You go buy a pack from McHale, and it's going to cost you seven or $800. Mm -hmm. And people are like, oh, my goodness, that's crazy. And I'm like, know what it takes to make a pack from scratch? Mm -hmm. He's losing money doing that on a one-off basis or yeah. barely breaking even. Yeah. That's just the reality of it. Yes. If you're if you're going to get um, a, a someone like that to custom make you a bag, a rig, um, I've had a custom rig made. It takes time, takes money. <laughs> You know, um, so absolutely. Uh, let's see here. I don't know if uh, uh, I know Honey Bunches is out there. So shout out to Honey Bunches. Uh, she says you get what you pay for. Um, and Richard Maunder says those chest rigs are good. Um, LV Louis Cipher or Louis Cipher. He wants to know any of them big enough to handle an AR pistol. If so, what size barrel? What size barrel? Yeah. <laughs> That's Kevin Dixie speak. So here we go. All right. <laughs> yes. All right. So this is our Connor mm -hmm. backpack. So mm -hmm. if you went under backpacks on the website, you'd be able to uh, find that Connor. Okay. Um, and that is a great, uh, it's a backpack, but it's a panel loader. And it is the right size to handle uh, an AR pistol with a law folder on it and an 11.5 barrel. Okay, cool. Let, let me. Uh, so while we're talking about that, there I'll go. So just go on to backpacks. Let's uh -huh. see where are we. Here we go. Packs, pack, pack, pack pockets. I'm guessing. Uh, just, just backpacks. Okay. Um. Okay. Yeah. So Evan, yeah. the 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 line started with the chest rigs, right? The the recon kit bags. And then expanded from there into backpacks and other gear to, 
to also fit those demands that you had for outdoor activities, yeah. right? Right. I'm pulling up the Connor right now, by the way. Okay, yeah, that's a reasonable... Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good size bag. I see how it goes. Uh, I like the uh, pocket for the, for the cups on either side, uh, and then the mesh pockets inside. Sorry, I'm just I, I like bags. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. So those Flipping the wings this. on the Connor, those are hypalon. That's river raft material. Mm-hmm. Super tough, uh, and it's kind of a low profile thing. But those wings are actually laser cut in the mole pattern. Mm-hmm. So. Something you can do is uh, mount like mag pouches on the insides of those wings or a tourniquet oh. holder or something like that. Okay. So you've got quick access to those things, but completely concealed if you're walking around in public. Right. right. Oh, okay. Okay. And Hank, if you look at the product line, all the pictures that you're clicking through, have you noticed the colors there? Do you yeah. see any turquoise or... <laughs> Uh, amber yellow or anything like that no yeah. it's all natural colors it, yeah. it doesn't scream tactical right. but it doesn't scream um hey we're having a, a, a camping party over here either you know it's it's uh, it's so i like it yeah absolutely um yeah I, I like that too i look for that i mean i i, I especially like grace mm-hmm. right you know um uh, and by the way, LB Lewis Cipher says that's nice internal Molly webbing. Some uh, some good features in there. What kind of zips are you guys using? Uh, we use number ten YKK. Okay. Almost where, and then we use the number eights in just a few places, pockets. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I've gone back and forth with the YKK guys on on some products where I think their design could be improved. Bottom line, they're big enough. They don't care what I have to say. Uh, so, you might have to get into well, your own, to the zipper business, which good luck with that one. I don't know. Right, exactly. Exactly. But yeah. Bottom line, YKK is as good as it gets. Number mm-hmm. 10 is their beefiest zipper. Mm-hmm. That's what we use. I wish it was better. The zippers are still the place that bags are going to fail if they fail, which is why all of our bags um, protect the zippers with a buckle. That does two things. One, it takes the pressure off of the zipper and makes it less likely to fail. And number two, it gives you a backup plan in case that zipper fails and you're somewhere in the backcountry where you can't afford to lose the integrity of your bag. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I don't know if there's any other questions uh, that folks have here. We could probably jump right into that. I think that bag was about 265 or something that I was seeing on the website. Uh, Let me see. Yeah. So that's about 265, and then obviously there's things you can add to this, right? There's a lot of modularity uh, built into these systems, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So as Sean alluded to, um, really you want to load your pelvic girdle with weight. That's where you want the weight to be. Uh, So all of our bag, well, our two smallest bags don't have frames, but even that Connor bag you're looking at, uh, that has a full frame sheet and two aluminum stays inside. Mm-hmm. So the load carriage on that is great. Additionally, you can add either one of our hip belts. Um, and our waist belts, we have a beefier one that's more for backpacking and kind of a lighter weight one. And the lighter weight one is all laser cut molly as well. So there's a lot of folks who have their gun belt set up, and that's the uh, the recon belt. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of folks will have their gun belt set up on the recon belt and then be able to put it on their on their backpack. It doesn't necessarily have military applications because they have plate carriers to work with, but uh, that's one example of modularity. And then some of our smaller packs actually can be mounted on our larger packs. Okay. Um, and we have a variety of other accessories 
you know, I've spent a lot of time in the backcountry, and, you know, Sean, I'm sure you have a lot of the same experience. You get 10 different seasoned backcountry travelers together, and each one is going to have kind of a different way that they like to organize gear and set things up. So we try to provide a platform for people to organize the way they want to instead of a whole bunch of little pockets uh, that are organized things the way we think they should be. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have so much modularity. Maybe you like a panel loading back pocket. Maybe you like a center zip back pocket. Maybe you don't like a back pocket. Mm-hmm. So we allow people to assemble gear in a way that's going to work for them. And, you know, the Connor backpack is a good example. The entire inside of that is lined with laser-cut molly Velcro. So you can organize that interior with Velcro back pouches, Molly back pouches, or no pouches whatsoever. That's an example of a platform that people can set up how they want. Okay. Uh, a couple of things. One, I would say that, you know, one of the things I've noticed about human beings, same thing in the gun world. We are completely different sizes. <laughs> yep. You know, we have all completely different sizes and shapes and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I like the idea of something, um, you know, being that uh, custom, excuse me, customizable to the right. person's body and what makes them feel comfortable um, to, to do that. Um, the other thing I was going to say is, do you have a, like, is there a system where you can put all the molly and all those things on the inside? Or does most of your things work like that? That's something, that's a question I always get from people, right? Some people don't like to see stuff on the outside so much. Ah, uh, right, so. right. Yeah, so uh, we use molly very sparingly. I don't like it on the outside at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of my thing is if you're going to molly a bunch of stuff onto the outside of a backpack, you just needed a bigger backpack to start with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Seriously. Right? Yeah. All that adds is weight, failure points, complexity, yeah. right. because of so complexity. So uh, the ways that I use molly, I use it on the belt. It makes sense there. Uh, and then we use a lot of that internal Velcro-backed molly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's very few places outside of that where you're going to see any molly on the outside. Yeah. Uh, the, the, con- the, the Connor, for example, I don't see any of it out there. I mean, I can see the mesh pockets, which I right. think are cool on the outside. I like that because you could put things in there and, and see where they are. Um, yeah. And then I think, as you said, there's a panel inside of there, right? I'm just trying to flip back through it here while we're talking about Okay, there yeah, we go. Yeah, so if you open yeah. up the backpack, you're looking at one main compartment, and yeah. the rear of it is lined with that, that Velcro that's molly cut. Oh, okay, so that so that's actually Velcro. Right, but it's cut with molly, so you can put either molly or oh, okay. Velcro-backed or accessories. Right, oh, cool, okay, I get it, I get it now, yeah. Um, and we use a lot of places, a lot of products we use that. Yeah. Um, so do you do you have something that's specific, let's say, to um, to like computers and stuff like that, laptops, etc., or even right. cameras and, and all that? Uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. As far as laptops are concerned, mm-hmm. um, we have the attaché, which is a laptop bag, and that um, that would be under um, should be under backpacks um, or uh, pack accessories. Uh, okay, I mean, attaché. Let me go back in here. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. The website is actually, you know what? As, as I'm looking at the website, it looks kind of country. You know, it looks. It's got that feel to it. So you would maybe say, oh, this is not that sophisticated. But it actually, I like how you can just click on the pictures and click through things. It's pretty easy uh, to go through here. And for anyone who's uh, listening to this on audio, it's just hillpeoplegear.com. 
right? That's it. Yeah, so that's where we're at here. And I'll run up on the screen um, while you're talking about it, Evan, um, and and show that one. Right. So the attache, uh, basically, that has a padded laptop sleeve um, in the back. And then the entire front, you zip it open, and it's an organizational panel of that Velcro with Molly. So, uh, you know, it's for urban use with computers. It will actually mount on the back of some of, of several of our backpacks in case you want to add that to a day pack. Uh, but I can tell you that there's plenty of those running around all over the world that don't have laptops in them at all. Right, exactly. Um, That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I could see a nice yeah. subgun going into one of these. <laughs> right, subguns, support accessories. Uh, right. Uh, one popular modification, you put a plate in that uh, mm-hmm. laptop compartment. And there's dudes doing work all over the world using yeah. those things. And this this is 150 bucks. I mean, that's that's pretty good actually. Uh, that's a pretty that's a pretty good price. Do you uh, do you guys ever have sales? I'm sure someone's going to ask that, so I'm just jumping in and asking the question here. How does that work with you guys? Uh, it's a great question, and what I tell people uh, is that if somebody can afford to give you a 30 or 40 percent discount, sometimes mm-hmm. it means they're ripping you off the rest of the year. Right. Uh, so- <laughs> That's the reality of it, right? Like, (laughs) we've always run lean. We're a small family-owned business. We try to keep prices low. Uh, So our margin is not our mark. It's, you know, typically you want 3x above your cost in margin. We don't have anywhere even close to that. Mm -hmm. So uh, we do occasionally do sales, but for us, a really great sale is like 7% off. Okay, cool. Yeah. What it reminds me of is out in the country where I live, there's a, a, a local gun store there. But every now and then, I think every two, three, two, three months, they have a gun show. And whenever the gun show is coming, because their prices are kind of high in the store. And whenever the gun show is coming to town, basically what they do is they jack up their prices by like 25, 30 percent before that and then when the show is there then they're like oh we got 25 30 percent off at the show mm-hmm. <laughs> you know honestly like this was my first venture into retail mm-hmm. and retail in some ways appalls me the margins that are there and some of the games they play right. you know i had somebody who's a retailer you know and they said oh you need to do flash sales right you need to do flash sales to people mm-hmm. and i said well that's unethical like to try to get somebody to make a quick decision just because you got a quick sale. Mm-hmm. And and this person looked at me and said, Evan, you have no business being in retail. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think if the price is a good, what it comes down to, like I never try to sell people stuff. I'm not having this conversation with you to sell anyone anything. Um, to me, the way that I look at it is I'm just trying to expose people to things, right? So they could think about it. And then the person always makes that decision. So if you're looking for, and and typically what we're doing, if we're not looking at this world all the time, is when we need a bag, we're like, okay, you know, who's got the best bags? And a friend may say, hey, check out these bags. Okay, this is great. And you just want to make that decision now. You don't want to go, okay, I got it. Do I need to get a discount code? Should I wait until the summertime or the wintertime when there's a sale? No, you just want to get a good bag and, and then have that good bag forever. Yeah. You know, um, that's the way uh, Richard Monder is saying, like, oh, lights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I totally agree with that one. Uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> what's the, um, what is the, like, warranty that comes with, uh, with the, with right. the packs? So, uh, basically, we stand behind our bags, right? We don't have a lot of retailers. You come straight to us. 
um, if you've got a bag that has a failure, and if it is a um, if it's an assembly failure, if it's um, honestly, I even cover design failures a lot of the time where somebody's like, for a while, uh, our original kit bag had a number eight main zipper, and we didn't have a lot of failures, but after a while, I was like, you know, that always should have been a number 10. Mm -hmm. So to this day, and now it's been 10 years, somebody shows up with one of those with a failed main zipper, even though that's really not our fault, I'm like, you know what? That's a design failure. That should have been number 10. Here's your new bag. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you do some poking around, you'll find that people are very satisfied with the way that we stand behind our products. Yeah. Um, I And I don't know, this might be completely out of left field. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there's a good used market for your bags then. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, that's always a good sign. That's that's what I always look for. You know, if you buy a bag and it's only one time, and then you can't really sell it on to anyone, it doesn't have any value. Then you know, I would be surprised if there would be a uh, used market because I can't imagine giving up any of my bags. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'll tell you part of why it exists, Sean. Uh, and this is kind of weird. We, um, I there's people who follow us as a brand who buy everything. Mm -hmm. And if we, we do limited run colors, not because we're trying to stimulate sales, but just because like there's not enough demand for multi-cam black all the time. Right. And we can 25 and there's people who will buy every new color that comes out right. just to have. And then after a while they're like, well, I don't need three of these bags. I'm selling two. <laughs> yeah. That's how okay. I got all my first tactical backpacks. So my brother anonymous he um he's into he's into gear he always has been and uh he would buy like like you just said if he's into bags for example and he likes this company he will buy everything from that company and then i just wait that's what yeah. i do because when he realizes eh, i don't like this color or whatever then i get those you know and being like that's my older brother so i'm the i'm the middle one you know i'm used to getting the hand-me-down stuff but from him it's typically good stuff so right. that's what I would do. I, I, you know, when those things came down, like, oh, this is awesome. And whatever I loved in there, I would keep. And then what I don't, guess what I do? Sell it. Mm -hmm. Sell it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, but yes, there are people like that out there. I could tell that you, uh, you've probably met some of those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, Honey Bunches was saying you guys have a store. Yeah, so uh, we're located on the western slope on the other side of the mountains from Sean. Uh, so okay. basically, we're, we're on the Colorado-Utah border. So mm -hmm. for us, we either hit the Rocky Mountains or the deserts. Like, Moab's an hour and a half drive away. Uh, mm -hmm. So at any rate, we have a store, a retail shop in downtown Grand Junction, Colorado, right on Main Street there. Uh, and that serves as a showroom. Uh, it works out well because a lot of people traveling through will plan trips around coming to the retail shop. Mm -hmm. um, and... That's that's really the best place to see all our gear in person. We have some bricks and mortar retailers, but where I was talking about margin before, mm -hmm. for the most part, we haven't marked our products up enough to support somebody with somebody else with a bricks and mortar store selling our products. So, yeah, Grand Junction, Colorado, and we get a lot of people coming through. I always like meeting them because a lot of them plan trips around coming to our store. So that's a real neat. Thing. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do that myself. And I see Honey Bunches is saying you guys also have cool shirts. Obviously, we see Sean is rocking uh, one of the shirts. Let me see if I can find here. Let's go to Sean. Uh, here, he's gonna. Sean's our supermodel for the day. <laughs> yeah, there baby. Go. There you go. I, I want to see him in the catalogs. 
<laughs> there you go. Resist. Oh, oh I like this. More handsome than me. He's he's got it, man. Yeah, but I like this I shirt. Love this shirt. Oh, that's it's awesome, actually. To Colorado and uh, yeah. does a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, I love that shirt, man. That is you awesome. Know, there's another person that absolutely loves the idea of a Hill People Gear shirt, and that's Roy Hill. The first time he oh. saw me wearing one, <laughs> he wanted to have one. So oh, bad. that's true. Yeah, I'll have to hook that up at some point. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. That would make a great gift for Roy. Actually, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to do that. So where do I? Okay, I guess I can get the shirts if I'm looking at the site on the logo gear. Right. However, we're right in the middle of turning over our inventory. So everything we had is like on super sale closeout grab bag. And in another couple, three weeks here, we'll have a whole new lineup. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. Grab bag. Uh, what sizes do you do you guys go to um, on the shirts? Uh, all the way up to 3XL. Okay, 3XL. Okay, cool. Beast mode. Beast mode. Okay. Is that 3XL? Uh, I've got some. I'm a 2X. Oh yeah, I wear t I wear double XL just because I like my shirts to be baggy, um, but trust me, I've got some dudes that support me that go to like five six L. Oh yeah, yeah, those are real giants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, AKA monster monster size dudes. <laughs> so um, yeah, so that's cool. That's uh, cool. You guys have the shirts. What questions do, or what questions did you have, Sean? For Evan here. I don't really have any questions, man. I um, I really came to testify today. Mm -hmm. There are a few brands that I've come into contact with over the years that, you know, I, all the publishers that I write for, I'm um, perpetually saying, hey, they sent me this product and uh, I checked it out and I really liked it or it was good with this or it was good with that, but mm -hmm. not so good for this situation. Um Hill People Gear did not seek me out. Uh, it was part of my evolution of trying to find gear that did everything that I wanted it to. And uh, the beauty about that was it hit all those marks, right? We, we go out and we do these activities and we buy gear from companies. And usually it's, you know, maybe, maybe you can get 75% of, of everything that you, all the marks that you want to hit. But the ability to carry concealed to have it secured, um, to keep my very most important critical items on my person, even if I'm torn away from my backpack, if I fall down a cliff, um, all of those things hit the mark. And then on top of that, they were not brightly colored. They were naturally colored. So a smart, high quality, I might add, um, I don't wear mine as roughly as uh, I used to, but um, they've held up extremely well for the couple of years that I've had them. And they just absolutely are quality bags that don't scream that they're tactical, mm -hmm. um, yet they have that capability. So um, mm -hmm. I, I was just, when I finally found them, I was like, okay, I got to write about this. I got to find a way to write about this. So mm -hmm. uh, I was writing an article about how to stay safe on the trails and because um, it was springtime and people were getting back out and this was before the pandemic actually so i wrote an article about the things that i saw with people who were going out and hiking and you know having their cars broken into and having stuff stolen and some of the things that i recommended uh for staying safe and you know i i've responded to situations and i've, I've certainly read 
horror stories about things that happen out on the trail. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, it's not that common, but why mess around? Why, why take that risk? When you can absolutely be safe, uh, you don't have to frighten anybody, as Evan said, and um, go on about your business and have a really good time with some quality gear that uh, is, is a good value for the price. Yeah. Um, I So on, in my travels around Colorado, Utah, etc., I notice people there just randomly get out and start walking in the bushes or whatever you guys call it out there. I was actually hanging out with a friend of mine. We were driving and he just pulls over and he's like, let's go for a walk. I was like, I don't think so. That's, I'm not, I'm not going to let you just randomly. But, but that's a thing, right? Well, I, it, it kind of depends. You know, there's um, sometimes depending on the season, maybe uh, maybe you'll spot a shed, like a deer shed or an elk shed, or maybe sometimes the current bushes are in, or there's something like that where you could go out and pick choke cherries on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's there's different reasons. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it walkabout, yeah. like Australia, but yeah. But yeah. yeah I mean, he had packs and everything. It's just that I've seen too many movies of people walking out. <laughs> You know, places unplanned that I'm actually yeah. going to do that. If you you need to actually build up to that, <laughs> you know, I need to oh, yeah. Yeah. do There is no doubt whatsoever because, uh, as Evan mentioned earlier, the uh, shortest journey uh, that you intend could end up to be epic mm-hmm. and um, due to circumstances completely beyond your control. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more stuff that you have on your immediate person, the better off you're going to be. Now, um, you know, I've used some great tents and some great sleeping bags over the years, but uh, I would not have those with me inside a recon bag. But I will have fire. I will have redundant sources of fire in my recon kit. I will have signaling capability. I will have the ability to uh, have cordage or create cordage. Um, it's just something that in its core is is one of the first building blocks of surviving your situation when you go out into the woods, even if you just meant to go look at something outside of the car. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead, Evan. I sense you want to jump in here. Oh yeah. It's, I would say that our core customer is somebody who not just, um, travels off trail comfortably, but prefers it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, when I go backpacking, I'm like, here's the base I want to go to. And I might be on an access trail part of the way and then I'm fully expecting to be off trail for the majority of my trip and that's kind of our core customer we have plenty of other people who buy our gear at this point but those are the guys that we build gear for um mm-hmm. and it's it is as you say it's it's common here it really is yeah uh let me get this comment in from uh flying rich he gave us a couple of bucks he says is there a hank strange brony pattern kit bag so <laughs> Let me just explain this for a second. Um, yeah, so do you know the folding Glock? You know, if you've, uh, you've probably yeah. heard of the folding Glock, right? From Full Conceal. I have one of those Glock 19 that folds, and I found that it goes, is it a, uh, what is it? Play, it's not a PlayStation. Um, Nintendo. Yeah, it's one of the, I guess, the Nintendo Switch bags. It fits right inside okay. of there, so, wow. and, and different bags like that. So there was one of these bronies, you know, My Little Pony bags. And I noticed it fit in that. So I did a whole thing when I put that out of all the different kinds of bags that that thing goes into. It's kind of like camouflage. So uh, some people, 
Don't let you forget about those kind of things. Uh, the full yeah. conceal guys actually took that brony bag from me once they saw that I did the video mm -hmm. and everything with it. They actually have it, so I don't have that. I've got one yeah. of the game station kind of looking things, but I like it because yeah. I could take that I could take that Glock 19 with 33 rounds and put it on a table, and someone wouldn't know uh, what's in there. Talk about unexpected journeys. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. That's what that one's all about. Um, okay, let's see. I'm wondering if there's some other... So, um, let's see here. Uh, okay, so let's see here. Born to be a shooter, Josh says, I'm not old enough to remember when the 94 Assault Weapon Band, uh, what the 94 Assault Weapon Band did to us. Freedom lovers may... Uh, my random question is, do you think it's possible for them to pass bills banning AR parts to fix your gun? So that's from Born to be a Shooter, Josh. Um, do you do you want to take that, Sean? Yeah, um, you know, with the supermajority, the way things have shaped up, um, I'm assuming that it's possible, mm -hmm. you know, uh, just the way politics tends to trend. Unfortunately, a lot of us freedom-loving folks are kind of trapped in this horrific swing of the pendulum back and forth and back and forth from one extreme to another. So um, I suspect that it's possible. I think it would be foolish to uh, not potentially anticipate it based upon uh, Biden's website and some of the things that he had outlined. I am currently encouraged by the lack of movement in that area. But then again, we have a pandemic that's being dealt with. So um, I, I'm not going to dissuade myself that we're safe, that, that uh, nothing is going to happen. But, you know, um, I, I think if we stay calm and uh, try to do things the right way, then uh, we'll prevail one way or another. Yeah. You know, Sean, you, I think you're maybe even a little older than I am, but you know, I've been watching this. I remember the bad days of the band yep. mm -hmm. and when, you know, I wasn't old enough to buy before the band, but I was old enough during the band to say, wow, I really wish that I'd been able to buy these things before the band. Yeah. Uh, but ever since it sunsetted, I noticed that every time it's been a major talking point of a candidate beforehand, they kind of dropped it after the fact. Right. I, I think, I think, Despite all their talk, I think they understand how big of a problem doing that really is. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think another thing that uh, I would echo with that, Evan, is um, regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, I think when you go from being second fiddle to first chair, there there is a huge perspective change where you have to take into account every single little thing. Mm -hmm. And if you said something that was either hubris or pandering to your party, uh, and it, it helped you to get into that position to, to go ahead and make good on some of those statements um, is a different reality when you're actually sitting in that seat. And I think the, um, incident at the Capitol recently probably brought to light some of the uh, challenges that a government might face mm -hmm. should they attempt to take issue with the Second Amendment or, or make gross changes there. Um, so I would hope that, uh, you know, one of the people I've had my eye on is Beto O'Rourke. 
And um, as far as what I can tell, he's teaching classes right now. He's mm-hmm. not terribly involved in politics other than a supporting role. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a statement that Biden had made to Beto previously that indicated, hey, you're the guy. You're the guy. You know, when, when we get there, man, you're, you're going to be the one. And I think a lot of people that generated the discussion about a gun czar or something horrific like that mm-hmm. from someone who had already plainly made the statement of, we're going to come and take your AR-15. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see Beto. I don't see Beto. That doesn't mean Beto's gone. Yeah, not right? yet, necessarily, but there are. Right. Yeah, it all comes down, and I think we saw this, as Evan said, uh, during the Obama administration. He had things on the agenda. He definitely attempted to do things, but everyone prioritizes, right? What What right. I hope for at times like this is a stalemate. <laughs> Right. You know, blockages right. up there uh, in Congress. Um, but, yeah, these guys definitely have a, a wish list and there's things that float up there. For sure, it it could be that they want to go after guns, gun parts, anything. I think they I think they will try to go after uh, commerce even. So the ability for firearms manufacturers to sell things, to collect money, etc., right? Um, if we look at H.R. 5717 that we were talking about it yesterday – Basically, that proposes everything. If you if you go through that proposed bill, it pretty much has everything in there. Every single person in America that wants to possess a firearm would have to have a license in order to do that. Or if you wanted to buy ammo, you would have a license to do that. Um, and I think they wanted to limit you to one firearms purchase a month. And we can go on and on and all those things. I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it because it came to me in a flash of brilliance while you guys were talking. <laughs> my my uh, my answer, because, you know, brilliance is, like, temporary for me. So, um, you know, my thoughts that, that I had on this is that freedom requires permanent vigilance, right? If you want to be free, it's not a thing that you could pick up and put down whenever you want to. You always have to uh, be prepared, be on the lookout for what's going on. I think that kind of goes back to the theme of what uh, Sean brought up here. Just, you know, uh, coming up the way that you did in law enforcement, you have to always be ready for stuff. You always have to be on the lookout. You always have to have the tools to fight back for those things. So I would say don't uh, don't fall asleep or don't go back to sleep over this stuff. Pay attention to what these guys are up to and do everything to push back. Ultimately, me personally, I am not going to comply with anything that these guys try to do. That's just my personal intention with that. But I also will push back um, on anything that they try to do as well as much as I can. So we've actually got, I mean, if you want to go down this rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. we've got an interesting little case study going on in Colorado right now. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what the shirt that Sean's wearing is about. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Colorado, what's it been, two years ago, Sean, now, something like that? a whole bunch of laws were passed, right? So uh, standard capacity magazines were outlawed, but if you had them before, they were grandfathered, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. So in Colorado, Colorado is like a microcosm of the country in that you have an urban center that has politics different from the entire rest of the landmass that because of their population, they're able to dictate laws to the rest of the landmass. Mm-hmm. And so that's in the case of Colorado, that's Denver and Boulder, um, and they essentially tell the whole rest of the state, which is mostly rural, places like where we live, uh, mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, Sean, you're not still 
with the sheriff's department, are you? <laughs> no, I work for a DA's office now. <laughs> Don't make so, any admissions, please. <laughs> I sense a conversation about the sheriff's is coming up right now. <laughs> well, yeah. and it's a good thing, mm -hmm. right? Because as soon yeah. as these laws were passed, the, the Sheriff's Association of the state brought suit against these unconstitutional laws. Mm -hmm. And and in Mesa County, I think our sheriff was the first sheriff to issue a public state statement saying that he would not enforce any of these unconstitutional laws. Mm -hmm. So we have laws in Colorado right now that I can tell you nobody's complying with. I don't know that there's even been a prosecution. There's not even been an arrest, let alone a prosecution. So... Like you can go into a gun shop on the front range and you can buy a full capacity magazine, even though they're technically illegal, and they're sold as parts kits. Mm -hmm. And so so in Colorado, we kind of see the reality of, A, um, you do have legitimately const uh, constituted authorities that have the authority to stand up to you know what we would think of as unconstitutional tyranny and are willing to do so. A, and B, you see the realities of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Who's going to try to bring a case against the guy who's you know got this 30-round mag, and what's that going to look like? Mm -hmm. So, Sean, you might have more perspective on this than I do, being closer to law enforcement, but that's kind of been the reality in Colorado. Yeah. No, you're right, and I, and I can echo that because uh, the gun stores, uh, quite a few of them still do um, sell them, and uh, for a long time they went under the pretense of a refresher kit, like like yep. you're saying for mm -hmm. for your magazine, if your spring was absolutely worn out, or if you needed a new follower, here we'll sell you this kit, and they would literally take them out of the bag, disassemble them, and uh, hand them off to you. And um, the one of the biggest problems, I think, uh, and I kind of want to be careful here because um, I'm in somewhat of a position with uh, where I work, but uh, the issue that you run into is a lot of times these laws are sponsored by and uh, enacted by, voted upon, people who don't know anything about guns, or um, at least from my perspective, that's that's what it feels like. They don't have a, a strong working knowledge of firearms, and and you can see that in some of these uh, talking head clip points that that come out on social media all the time. Um, you know, an AR-15 being as heavy as 10 boxes, uh, you know, I, it, it clearly uh, emanates from ignorance. And unfortunately, when you have a law that is written that does not come from a person with a strong understanding of how firearms operate, um, that law can be difficult to enforce. Mm -hmm. If it's even brought in to uh, be charged, uh, you know, the, the sheriffs have pretty broad um, discretion about where they focus their activities. And um, it, it has become apparent that a 30-round magazine it, or even a 17-round magazine, which would technically be illegal, um, is not something that uh, they're, they're willing to focus on as a, as a law enforcement priority. And um, there's also that disassociation between the facts of, you know, how many 30-round magazines are we going to prevent uh, from causing more gun violence when it amounts to, you know, less than 1% anyway. So it, there, there, there's a huge disconnect there, and um, there, there's a lot of 
um, evidence that's being dismissed or, or knowledge that's not being accepted. Mm-hmm. So it has been kind of an interesting time uh, where you do see that um, political machine that's driving and the influences. Like Evan said, man, Colorado is a trip. Um, you can walk down the street and you will see an actual cowboy um, who has just gotten off the range from driving cattle in and, um, you know, rubbing elbows with a pot-smoking hippie. And, and I do not say either of those terms uh, with any type of denigration. I mean, I, I love all people. But um, that, is, that is the, the, the literal uh, focus of, of uh, a lot of people here. And those extremes are um, often so vastly different uh, that it kind of creates a situation right where we have right now. Yeah, and, and I don't have any problem with that either. That's the way America should be. It's the part okay. where people are trying to infringe on other people's freedoms, right? Uh, there's folks on the other side of where we may be that don't want us infringing on them. And uh, right. I definitely don't want them infringing over on this side. Uh, L.V. Louis Cipher said that LVMPD, which I, I'm guessing is Las Vegas uh, Metro Police Department, uh, the, sh- the sheriff, he says, is anti-gun. He's been he said on record he's in favor of reduced capacity mags. Thank the higher power. He's being term limited out. And um, I've been saying this and it's going to be my theme for 2021. Um, OK, what happens on a national stage is important. We all need to be involved in that. We need to know what those guys are doing. Even more important is what is happening locally right where you live, and you can affect that um, more effectively than what you can affect on the national stage. So your local right. sheriff, your mayor, the people who represent you, even the folks who go out from um, your counties or whatever it is that go out and serve in Congress and in the Senate, you have more control over that, especially the, sh- the sheriff, right? And um, yeah. if, if you're worried about someone actually trying to roll up on Americans and take their guns, that's where you could stop that. You need to make sure that you know where your sheriff is at and they could say, whatever you guys are doing, we're not gonna let you come in here. They can actually deputize people and have people ready. So any kind of scenario where people, where there's folks in, uh, in political power in America who think they can actually roll up on Americans and take things, there can be a resistance to that, right? It's very, very important. Um, and of course, we, have to, we, we don't want it to get to that. No one wants Absolutely it to get there. Not. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, like I said before, man, we all have to just keep paying attention to what's going on on a national stage, but especially pay attention to what's going on locally and make sure you know what those guys are up to. And uh, regardless of what <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, like I'm registered as a Republican for a long time. I was registered as a Democrat. I live here in Florida. Uh, people who are independent libertarian don't really go that far here just because of how the uh, political system works here so in the generals you cannot vote unless you have an independent running if you're registered as that Uh, it makes it uh, really difficult to do that i wish it wasn't that way and people really need to vote in these uh in these primaries Mm -hmm. that's where Mm -hmm. we could get rid of some of these people You know? Yeah, well, I think we saw a record turnout recently in, yeah. um, uh, and across the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it didn't necessarily go the way a lot of folks were hoping, I think, but um, but we definitely had record turnout. Yeah, um, and, and I would like to see what these guys are going to try to do. I don't 
I, I hope there is no success in, in like the bills and things they're putting forward. And I hope there is no success uh, for Biden for what he's planning. But remember, we had 8 million people that came on last year, new, brand new people. I think they're estimating at least 21 million sales, but 8 million of those brand new. Um, yeah. Even if those people are Democrats, even if they're liberal, I don't think all of those people are going to take too kindly to the idea that they went out and, and bought firearms for their own safety because they realized they could not trust the government to do that. Right. Right. And, and I don't think they're going to like the idea of, well, you know, we're going to take those things from you now. So. Well, and that's like uh, we discussed when um, Mike, Mr. Guns and Gear was on uh, last time. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you have a scenario where there's such a vast gulf between the value systems of um, two ideologies, right? Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, whatever you want to call it. Um, if you can seize upon that middle ground. Uh, you know, everyone has that right to self-defense. Mm-hmm. Everyone has that right to uh, defend themselves and their home. Mm-hmm. And um, when people start making decisions, now, uh, I'm going to hawk an article here uh, ever so briefly. I hope you don't mind. Oh, no, absolutely, man. That's why we're here. We want to get people to, to read, consume your articles more. Cool. Uh, I just wrote an article about uh, Joe Biden's 2013 comments on an interview with Parents Magazine um, where he said, well, you don't need an AR-15 to defend your home. Mm -hmm. Buy a shotgun. Mm -hmm. Buy a double-barrel shotgun. And um, I went through several of those statements that he made, and uh, I I looked at it from the premise of, okay, well, if that's that's the advice that the then vice president was giving, how would I assess that? And so I did a tactical assessment and, and I looked at the potential laws that that would violate if you, in fact, did uh, go out and fire two blasts outside the balcony to uh, scare away an intruder. Um, and, and then I also broke down, OK, if I had bought a double barrel shotgun because Shotgun Joe suggested that I use that for a home defense. How would I do that if that were my only firearm? Mm-hmm. Guess what? Uh, a 12-gauge double-barrel shotgun, you can absolutely use it effectively. Uh, it just takes a little bit more planning. Mm-hmm. And then I, I kind of talked about the whole situation, you know, uh, about what was what was potentially upcoming. And I can't compare 2013 Biden to Vice President to uh, President Biden now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to try to take a page from, from that issue he's definitely and, lost some brain cells between yeah where we what we might expect now mm-hmm. and and there were some interesting things now i don't hold any stock in this because mm-hmm. again it's hard to compare someone from you know from that many years ago to now but one of the things that he said that surprised me was um and i'll i won't quote it but i'll paraphrase it was uh nobody's going to come and take my guns nobody's going to come and take your guns he also said, we don't need to amend the Constitution. Um, so, you know, I wrote about those things, hopefully, and at least was able to find common ground to say, okay, here are a couple points that I, I fully agree with you on, Joe. Um, but as a law enforcement officer, oh, my God, please do not do the things that he suggests. 
You know, if you have a double barrel shotgun, you need to be ready. If you think someone's coming in your house and they're a threat to your life, <laughs> you don't shoot out the back door. You save it and hope that you don't have to shoot the person who's maybe trying to come and harm you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just, just talking about the risks that are inherently involved in uh, some some scary activities that uh, we're yeah, recommending. There's but, places that have laws against you firing warning shots. Yeah, a, a lot of places do. Yeah. And, and as I pointed out, the article is on guns.com, by the way. Um, you are seeing, uh, in this kind of a loop, back to your point, Evan, you have uh, almost 80% of the American population now is in metropolitan areas. They're not in rural living settings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the time that uh, Vice President Biden gave this advice, he said he told his wife they lived in a, a somewhat secluded area, somewhat secluded, mm-hmm. um, where you could probably just, you know, cut loose with a couple of barrels outside the back and, and maybe somebody would go running. But for a, a huge part of the population, um, that that's not going to work. 80 percent, you know, you're potentially endangering somebody else if you cut loose outside your home. And in fact, there was a guy out in uh, Washington State, I think, who tried to use the Biden defense, and it didn't go well for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, someone was mentioning that. I think Richard Maunder, our friend over in England, was mentioning that. A um, couple of things here. One, shotguns. Someone needs to make a belt-fed, double-barrel pump-action shotgun. Thank you. Uh, I'm into that. <laughs> I'd like to see that. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. would be down for that, but yeah. uh, semi-auto. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I recently reviewed the uh, Mossberg 930 SPX Tactical. It's a uh, eight shot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. this thing is amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Listen, semi-auto is awesome, but I could pump pretty good. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> so if I've got like track. a belt fed coming out of a bag or something like that, I think you know. <laughs> It's great for the zombie apocalypse, but yes, I agree with you. You're right. You know, right. you have to deal yeah. with magazine limitations. Um, yep. You know, not all. Obviously, depending if you're tube fed, I think it's a lot better. I haven't really found like a very reliable magazine fed semi-auto. Um, well, most of them need like high brass or the you know expensive stuff for them to run well. So I am a fan of like. Uh, you know, shotguns. My favorite one is the KSG. So that's double barrel, you, you know, yep. double tubed and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So I had that same premise when I reviewed that Mossberg 930 because uh, coming up in, in the 90s in law enforcement, it was always in uh, Remington 870, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a pump action because semis were unreliable. Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of break that mindset just to, just to have to try one out. Mm-hmm. And um, man, I, I ran all kinds of different ammo through that thing and I didn't have one single problem. Mm-hmm. So I call that myth busted. Yeah. Oh, there's good ones. Remington, Benelli's, you know, yeah. without a doubt. Um, the other thing I was going to say, based on what happened back in D.C., what was it in like the sixth or something like that? Um, I don't think any of those guys are going to go to lower capacity over there. You know, and they weren't really they weren't really facing what I think is like a big threat, you know. Right. So I don't see the um, D.C. police departments, Capitol Hill police or whoever. I don't see those guys uh, bumping down what they use. OK. Yeah. I don't see them yeah. going to less capacity. I don't see Secret Service or anyone else 
going to less capacity anytime soon. And a lot of this winds up being just like healthcare, et cetera. You know, um, if you can have, if they can have special plans and then they take those away, that away from those of us who pay extra for special plans and force us into the same thing, it's the same kind of thing. They can say, well, we can have guns and our bodyguards and security teams, they can have all the guns, all the machine guns, whatever it is that they feel they need to defend us, but you can't have it. I mean, it's like, that's an easy equation for me. I'm not going to go for that. Yeah. Um, so, all right, let's see if we've got some other stuff here. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys out there have uh, more questions on these bags. We could look at some more of the bags. We could talk to Evan about that. Maybe Evan has got some things. Um, what I was curious to know, Evan, is what's coming up. So, where do you go? Do you go to Shot Show? Well, in years past, we have. Okay. Um, for I don't know many years running, mm-hmm. and then we finally two years ago, I guess, took mm-hmm. a look at the spend and said, you know what, it's just not worth it. Okay. Uh, so we went in a very limited capacity just to meet friends, right? Mm-hmm. That's the reason to go, to reconnect with your industry partners and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to be honest, this year, you know, with No Shot Show due to COVID, I was like, man, we're, we're starting the year like off and running because Shot Show always takes a huge chunk. Like you spend half December preparing and then you spend four to six weeks afterwards just kind of recovering from being at SHOT Show. So as a company, I think we're better off not having been involved at all this year. Mm-hmm. You know, we're off and running. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a great thing. So, uh, yeah. so what's coming for your people gear? Yeah. That's, the, that's your, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, so first of all, we've kind of been limping along with our mobility line. Uh, so, you know, out here, the big broad spaces of the West, uh, we like to hike, uh, but we also cover country and vehicles, right? We drive, we drive built rigs. Uh, and, you know, something that I've discovered is you've got people who are willing to hike and you've got people who have built rigs and the intersection between those two is actually pretty small. So if you can drive to a remote trailhead and then start hiking, you've got some good solitude. So any rate, we've grown up around built rigs. And so uh, we started making uh, some products for vehicles, basically. Oh, cool. Overland. Is, is kind of the, the buzzword. Uh, and so we're going to be pushing uh, harder into that this year. Uh, Very we've got cool. Some manpower that we're going to apply to that. Uh, that's going to be, uh, you know, my brother Scott is kind of going to be our czar for mobility. Oh, and sweet. we're going we're, we're to push that line. Uh, Sean, you might like this. Um, in March, we're going to be announcing our, uh, our Type 1 pack, which is, it's a line pack. It's for wildland fire. And Very cool. You know, our Umlindi pack was always based on the pack I carried as a hot shot, yep. except for much improved. So we've got a whole package and some accessories we're coming out with uh, in March. And so we're going to start looking at that market as well. So for this year, those are kind of our two big new initiatives. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like the overlanding idea. I'm actually into that. Um, and then recently I, uh, I, got, I, I went van life. It's not, it's, I a, get it. it's an open secret. I get it. It's an open secret. I went van life. Um, so I have like an all wheel drive uh, Ford Transit van that's been converted. Um, nice choice. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing some overlanding stuff or whatever. You know, it's glamping to me. You know, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we grew up calling it car camping. We just happened to drive places that were. Yeah. 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 
and I called um, overlanding off-roading. I mean, that, <laughs> but hey, that's yeah. the term they want to use right now. It's, a, it's yeah. a burgeoning market, I can tell you that. There's all these little spaces. I was telling Lola this. She didn't believe me, went and looked it up, but it's true if you guys want to look at it. Henry Ford, I think it was 1916. He's the one who started that. Driving around the country, caravan of friends and cars, and they lived out of the cars. I'm sure if we if if we look it up here, if you guys look it up, you'll see that that started back then. It's been going on for a long time. Um, you know, just depends on how comfortable you want to be, right? Like, do you want to do you want to hitchhike all over the country, you know, or you can ramp that up to like all the folks who are out there doing it in jeeps which I have uh, quite a few friends that do that. And then uh, going further up to like the folks doing it in all those four by four sprinter vans. And, you know, um, even there's some of those big, like I go to SEMA show and there's these big massive rigs built off of military vehicles uh, for going right. off road that are pretty much just like houses in there and they can run off of uh, like waste oil and all this kind of, you know, I mean, it's an amazing thing. Everyone's ready for the apocalypse. So if, you, if you haven't been turned on to this, mm -hmm. um, you really need to go to an Overland Expo. You heard of this? Uh, yes, I have heard of Overland Expos. I've always looked at it um, on YouTube, but this year I'm planning on actually going out to Overland Expo. Excellent. Yeah, we've exhibited there for three or four years. Okay. And initially it was just a place to sell our gear because those... Those folks like good gear, but mm -hmm. that's a cool, cool market and a, a yeah. neat event. Yeah. Are you going to East or West or both? Uh, so we, we went to East, uh, we've gone to West, but there's a new Intermountain as well. So okay. we'll definitely be at West. We're not going to be at East. Okay. And then I even know if they've announced Intermountain, which is up by Longmont, actually, hmm. Sean. Hmm. Um, and we'll go to that if that comes to pass as well. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. cool. That's real close to me. Yeah. yeah. I'm planning on doing all of those going forward. A lot of that stuff, because I had to separate. I've The whole entire time that I've been doing this, which is about eight years, I've been doing car stuff on my main channel, um, including trucks and all that kind of stuff. I had a Forerunner. Uh, I just recently had a pickup truck. But um, I, I've shifted that all over to my channel. It's called Stranger Palooza just because of the way that the algorithm is uh, working nowadays. So I'm going to be going to all of those kinds of things. I I don't know if I miss uh, SHOT Show so much, although I went out every year. But I do uh, miss going to stuff like SEMA show because I love to go out there and see all the different rigs that were built up for that. And um, and even, you know, this is a rival company to you, but uh, 511, or I call them 5.11. We can right. we can have that <laughs> argument. But it's in there. If they don't say it's silent. I don't see an accent on the dot or anything like that. Um, but I've seen them, like, do rigs and stuff like that there, right? Yeah. Um, so... You know, I, I enjoy going to see those kinds of things. But for now, because that doesn't really exist, that's why I'm planning on going to the Overland uh, Expo and different things like that. And actually just getting out there myself, man, and doing what I consider roughing it, which is man, not really, yeah, which is not really roughing it. You know? Sure. Yeah. I'm not a good rougher, you know, like I had one of the t I had I have actually actually still have a Tapui tent. You know, the rooftop okay. tent? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Lola and I did one night in that thing. It was actually pretty good. It was actually pretty good. It handled the cold and all that kind of stuff really well. But I need more amenities than that. You know, let's be honest. <laughs> so. Well, you know, there's, there's a natural port to uh, the things that are salient, let's say, in, in our life right now mm -hmm. from um, the, the standpoint of overlanding. Mm -hmm. Mike Glover 
from Fieldcraft Survival talks about this and um, one of the biggest keys uh, to survival is mobility Mm -hmm. and the ability to move and either get to resources or avoid danger. Uh, Pat McNamara uh, Mm -hmm. talks about that too. He talks about um, uh, people not wearing shower slippers when they go out into the world. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if if you're in a pair of uh, flip-flops and you're suddenly in a gunfight and you didn't realize that it was coming, you may have a hard time getting away from that. So, you know, mobility as a whole and being able to sustain yourself or your family while you're overlanding, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun. It's great practice to go out and go camping Mm -hmm. or glamping or vamping or whatever it is that you do. Um, And it's got a real practical um, outcome that could potentially help you in, you know, situations where, you know, like this, this last year, we saw a lot of civil unrest. We saw people having to bug out mm-hmm. to get the heck out of um, nasty situations when things have gotten uh, a little outside of norm. Yeah. Um, LB Louis Cypher says, in other words, Hank is a wussy and the idea of roughing it is not getting the super soft toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> actually, one of the things that I've come to realize is that RV toilet paper is actually only one ply, which is terrible. Yeah. I'm not really sure how I'm going to live with that. <laughs> I'm going to have to make up my own layers of ply. Yeah. <laughs> I have always said that breakthroughs are great in science, but they're not good in the bad. <laughs> no. Um, but, yeah, listen, I think in rough times we see that. You know, even, like I said, I think it was 1916 that Ford and, and uh, when, I, when I looked it up, I think it was Ford, Edison, a whole bunch of those guys of the time yeah. would just get out on the road and travel around America. But even in the Great Depression, you had a lot of that going on. And I think when times get tough, it's always better to be quickly mobile, um, you know, just so that you can not just temporarily but permanently get out of certain places, right? Right. Absolutely. We saw this spring. I don't know if you did over on your side of the hill, Sean, but there are places up here above town in the backcountry, kind of remote places where all of a sudden this spring I was seeing RVs. Mm -hmm. I was seeing little um, tiny like passenger cars just loaded to the gills Mm -hmm. with stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'd see those vehicles in the same location for like a week, two weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have Colorado plates. You know, they right. were coming from like, for the most part, it was California plates, mm-hmm. but you'd see Washington plates. You know, people literally fled California and lived in the Colorado backcountry out of their cars for a period of time this spring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, researching before we uh, bought into this, um, I found out, and even still, it's still going on right now. Um, the folks making RVs, so Airstream, for example, but all the guys making RV type stuff, whether it's trailers, you know, fifth wheels, what what have you, right? They can't actually build stuff fast enough. Yep. That's what's going on right now. And so these, so I've got a, um, a Class B van, which is built up like an RV on the inside. Uh, last time I went to that place, the lot was like pretty much empty. And they were telling me when something comes in here, it goes out immediately or it comes in where it's already sold to someone. And a lot of people with the shutdown decided to do that. I'm using mine as my office. It's going to replace my studio here. And there's a lot of people that decided to do that, right? They have to keep working 
But if they're working in an environment where they can't go into the office and they don't necessarily want to stay home, which I think a lot of times could be detrimental to you, you know, because I find if I'm working from home, then I'm just really not getting that getting set in my head to go out and conquer the world kind of a thing. Right. So, yeah, there was a lot of that. They said there was a lot of that going on and it hasn't died down yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think you'll probably still see some inventory in the, um, here's another Colorado company, Earth Roamer. Mm-hmm. Um, right. they, they make some, I think they're bottom. Yeah, those things are expensive. Half a million. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, I'd be surprised but, if you could get one of those for half a million. It's going to be like an F2 or F3, 4, 550, somewhere in that frame that has air ride suspension that can go up and down, mm-hmm. you know, six to eight inches, um, uh, positive track lockers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, satellite TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, all kinds of a built-in grill and uh, all these incredible amenities that you don't have to look for a nice stable road to, to take it down. Man, you, you can take that thing practically where the Jeeps go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brick says, Hank, are we going to get to see the mobile command center? Um, yeah, there's already videos on Stranger Palooza. So just go to YouTube slash Stranger Palooza or search for Stranger Palooza on YouTube and you will see all of those. I've got like a big, um, actually, I put up an hour, it's an hour and a half long video of the people giving me the breakdown. So when I bought mine, there was a guy who gave me the gave me the whole walkthrough of how to do everything, and I recorded that whole thing, and I've already looked at it myself probably about a hundred times. Nice. Yeah, because I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. When I need, I was on the road. I was in Texas. I went out to drive tanks uh, slash Ox Ranch out there, and I couldn't figure out how to put on my generator. <laughs> <laughs> and I went and looked at my own video. I was like, oh, there it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so. yeah. The more capabilities your rig has, the more yeah. knowledge that you have to retain in order to be able to operate. And here's the other thing. Maintain all of that yeah. stuff. You know, when you've got plumbing and water and gray water and um, electricity and things that you have to winterize or get ready, man, it's, it's a lot involved. Yeah. Um, so first I saw the movie RV. Did either one of you guys ever see that movie with, um, what's the name of the comedian in there? Um, he played Popeye, I forgot, Robin Williams. Yeah. Yeah. The movie RV, when he goes to, to, to dump out, he rents an RV in that movie and goes on a vacation with his family and he goes to dump that thing out. That's been, that's been in my mind like a nightmare. It's like deliverance, (laughs) you know? Like if you, yeah. you know, if you grew up in the city like I did growing up in New York City, and you come out to the country, you think everyone wants to go deliverance on you, so you get those same nightmares um, with that thing. So, and I still haven't done it, and I will actually record it when I go to dump that, and we'll see how bad it gets. <laughs> but the guy giving me the walkthrough said, if you mess it up like in that movie, you get tickets. <laughs> they, yeah. they basically charge I- you for that. <laughs> I can tell you, I have pulled RVs over when I was uniform <laughs> that were uh, slowly dripping their uh, weight really? on the road. They were driving down oh. the road. And I'm like, oh man, come on! <laughs> oh boy, yeah. So, um, do you? So, speaking of videos, do you guys have uh, a lot of videos out on your bags? Um, yeah. So we've actually got YouTube Hill People Gear. We've okay, actually we got, need to go check that out right now. Yeah, yeah, three three big segments there. Um, 
yeah, we have some product videos, but what we have a lot more of is in the field videos, which is us going on trips. And yeah, you see the gear, but that's really secondary to it. These are field adventures. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, we're about to release one, which is uh, Paige, Kevin's uh, fiance, her first hunting trip. Okay. So I, cool. I just downloaded it. Kevin just delivered it to me. I haven't looked at it. So that's going to be our big release this week is Paige's first. And it was an elk hunt, and she was successful. Uh, so we have in-the-field videos. And then we also have what's called the Longhouse Instructional Series, which is we, we came to a point where we realized a lot of people were asking us questions about, like, uh, can I use your bag for X, Y, Z? And anybody with backcountry experiences – that's the wrong question to ask. Like you would never try to do X, Y, Z with a bag. It makes no sense. And so we were like, we need to start educating people on just backcountry skills. Right. And there's a whole lot of like survival content, but like survival is what you do when something goes wrong. How do you keep from things going wrong? Mm -hmm. It's just decent backcountry skills. So that's the longhouse instructional series is a whole series of, you know, like land navigation, uh, water procurement and treatment, yeah. Um, there, um, uh, cold and altitude stuff. Uh, there is something on practical fire building. So okay, that's, cool. that's the third thing of what's, what's on our YouTube channel. Yeah. I'm showing the channel right now. I'm going through it. I saw you had some, uh, overlanding stuff in there and, uh, lots of cool videos for folks to check out. I just subscribed to it. Um, right. yeah, this is cool. Yeah. That always works, right? It's great to see, like everyone has their idea of how something works or whatever, but I like to... Uh, get video looks at how these things work, how you can use it, ideas. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I, I definitely like the idea of um, of trying to help people out in things that are beyond the bag, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, because for us, you know, one of our principles is just getting people out there. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, I'm not big on flash sales. I'm happy to have a conversation with a guy mm -hmm. about what bag he should go buy from the used gear store. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you don't have money for one of our bags, there's great great bags you can buy four doors down. There's a used outdoor gear store where you can spend 80 bucks on a pack that's better than anything you can buy at REI today, right? Mm -hmm. So we believe in getting people out. We believe it's good for the soul. We believe it's good for independence and liberty. Mm -hmm. um, and so anything we can do to encourage people getting out there and connecting, that's a good thing. We believe in that. Yeah. So since you brought that up, I'm going to use that opportunity to expand on that thought a little bit here. As someone who designs and builds these bags and everything, and you've you've had some experience in it, outside of your gear, what do you think of the good bags out there? Uh, so uh, Dana Gleason's been in it forever. Uh, his company uh, used to be Dana Designs. Now it's Mystery Ranch. Uh, Mystery Ranch builds great bags. Um, uh, Kifaru uh, has good bags. That's a Colorado company, um, and their their designs are pretty good. Um, if, if you have to go into REI and buy a bag, uh, I like the REI brand gear. Uh, most of it is designed by, well, there was a period of time where I would look at an REI pack and I would know for sure that it was an Osprey pack that yeah. was just REI branded. Mm -hmm. Osprey makes good packs, but you might as well buy the REI one that costs less and is the same thing. Um, so I actually like all of the REI line, the, the REI label gear is a good value. It's solid gear. Mm -hmm. uh, it may not be in the earth tones that you want, but it's, it's really solid place to get gear. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, Sean, you probably got a hit list, but those are the ones that I look at. Yeah, I think certainly, um, 
and this is kind of one of the things that I wanted to maybe kick around with you guys is, is that divide for whatever reason between the companies that seem to cater a little bit more to the uh, outdoor folks that have a proclivity to the second amendment. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that I'm aware of any uh, outward efforts to support gun legislation from companies, but um, it just seems like the products that they offer certainly don't delve into that. There's almost like a clear-cut delineation. Um, Mystery Ranch is not one of those companies. I mean, they do stuff for, for military applications. They have uh, colored bags that are, you know, environment uh, not necessarily camouflage. They might even have camouflage too. I can't remember, but um, yeah, I, I would say that um, I've used a lot of bags, uh, especially starting out as a uh, poorly paid deputy, um, going up into the mountains trying to find people who were lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I used a lot of military surplus when I first started. They didn't. Was, they never paid for your backpacks. I'm taking it then. No, I know a lot of no. like a lot no. of guys don't get their gear paid for. Huh? The stuff that you were issued was was horrific, and um, the stuff that I could afford was slightly better. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I could go out and pick up an Alice pack or something like that, mm-hmm. and I just kind of I learned through pain and suffering mm-hmm. that um, a good piece of gear will will make a huge difference in your experience, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how far you're out in the woods and, and how long your trip's going to be, and. Uh, if you amplify that, uh, man, I, I learned to save and to, to buy quality because it, it was just one of those situations where, you know, even if some, something uh, as simple as a buckle, mm-hmm. if you have a buckle uh, or a hinge or something that's in the wrong place and for whatever reason you can't adjust it out of the way or get it to a position of comfort and you're hauling a rock around for, you know, let's let's say it's only 20 miles. Mm-hmm. And you've got to cover that in a decent period of time to try to get into somebody and help them out, mm-hmm. even if it's a helicopter extraction. That buckle is going to go from a mild annoyance to uh, hurting pretty bad to maybe even rubbing a, a sore spot or something like that. So, mm-hmm. so I've learned. I've learned to, to look out for those quality gear uh, providers. And, and, yeah, I would go back again. I see a lot of Osprey. I, I used Mountain Smith for, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like them all right. And, but, but the colors, again, that was just something that I, I, I couldn't get um, the good colors that I wanted. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just... Honey Buncher says uh, Sean is a bag collector. Each has a purpose. So I created a term <laughs> for that. And I'm going to share that oh, with boy. you guys. <laughs> I'm going to go viral. All right. This is not naughty. Mm-hmm. But it's versifile, and, and it's based off of the Latin uh, for bag or container. And uh, mm-hmm. a versifile is someone who loves bags. And mm-hmm. I, I can tell you that in the back of my – I had a Bronco for a while, and before that I had a Dodge Ram Charger. That was my patrol car. I'm mm-hmm. dating up a little bit here. Mm-hmm. But at the back of, the, of both of my rigs, I had bags for everything that I needed. I had a uh, wildland fire kit, you know, with my radio rig, my piss pack, and my fire shelter, all of that stuff ready to turn out if I needed it. Um, I had another bag that had my uh, EMT crash kit. I had another bag that had my airway kit. I had another bag that had my search and rescue stuff, you know, so you name it, 
I had a bag and, and just the, the thought of being a versophile as someone who, who enjoys <laughs> organized life, right? Yeah. I had, when I worked in Silverton, I had a avalanche bag that had my pro pole, my shovel, my, um, you know, my locator, all of that stuff in that bag ready to go. And I, I, I could go out and forecast an avalanche and I knew which bag I could go to in the back of my car. And, and when I was responding to things like that, it, it would take seconds for me to go to that bag, pull it out and deploy it. And, and sometimes that, that made a lot of difference. Yeah. So I know, so Evan may not want to answer this, but you can, Evan. I'm going to ask Sean first, what was the worst bag you ever had? Uh, so. I would have to say it's old military surplus. Okay. Um, pretty, pretty much any brand that's out there. Um, and I've got some stories, man. Um, mm-hmm. I blew up a Kelty tent with, with a, uh, a flashbang one time. And, and that's kind of a weird story. We don't have to get into that, but uh, um, I think we know. I don't think that's how that works. You don't get to say you blew up a, a tent with a flashbang and then walk away from it. I think, I think there's a lot of good brands out there. Uh-huh. And, and my evolution was moving up from military surplus, which I used to do the job, the mission that I had. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was great, but it was heavy. It was cumbersome. wasn't always very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And um, the more outdoor brands that I experimented with, the, the the more I found the feature set that I was looking for. And and man, you know, when when you land at Hill People Gear, and you have that colorway that you want, you have the um, the features that you like, and the concealability and the um, applicability to the Second Amendment stuff. That, that was awesome. But yeah, but yeah, I think a lot of the the major outdoor brands out there are are making good products. It really kind of depends on how hard and how serious a user you are. Um, I think a lot of people would get by with decent gear. Uh, they don't need to invest a, a huge amount of money, but if you're if you're taking a, a pretty serious trip, um, you you will thank me uh, and anyone else that cautions you about buying good quality gear because when you get it out and you have an issue, you can adjust it and um, make it work for you and go on about your day and not have it break or not have something fail. Uh, you know, a failure at 10,500 feet is <laughs> is a bit of a problem that you may not be able to resolve in the field. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone wants the flashbang story, which we're going to get to here in a second. I'm going to let Evan either tell us whether or not he wants to answer that. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll answer it sideways. I'm a pretty good pack fitter, so mm-hmm. I've not ever had a pack that I haven't been able to make work. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are definitely some packs on the market where I think the emperor has no clothes, where mm-hmm. the yeah. price point I don't think really matches the value that's returned. I'm not going to name names there, but mm-hmm. I do think there's some brands like that. Um, I will tell you this, and, and I tell people this all the time, if you're on a budget you walk into, if you're lucky enough to live somewhere in Colorado where there are outdoor gear stores, mm-hmm. you walk into an outdoor gear store, you buy a Dana design, you buy a Mountain Smith, you buy a Low Alpine, you buy an Osprey. Any of those packs in the 90s were awesome packs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that's why Hill People Gear had to be started because the packs, those brands are not making packs like that anymore. Okay. So. I'll take any one of those packs over something that I can walk into a retail store and buy today 
every day of the week. Yeah. Now, you guys mentioned R- REI, I think, which just showed up here in Gainesville because Gainesville, okay. Gainesville got real bougie. There's a Whole Foods there now. <laughs> in town and then there's a rei around there i don't I've, i didn't ever went inside because i looked it up and i saw you have to be a member and all that kind of stuff is that worth it do you think uh you know do you guys know anything ever went inside one of those stores well so you don't you don't have to be a member i've okay. got like a super low member number and in mm. fact i remember going to the rei i think it was in anchorage back in the 70s when stuff was in cut off apple barrels and it was like pitons in cut off apple barrels oh wow Uh, so it's been around for a while long time oh okay long time Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's a co-op in the sense that it started out with just a bunch of climbers buying gear collectively okay Um, and now it's evolved into like a huge outdoor company just crazy huge outdoor company uh and uh if you're a member you get a dividend back at the end of the year but you certainly don't have to be a member to go in uh, they are anti-hunting. They're actually anti-fishing now. Uh, you know, they're they're <laughs> liberal, but okay. You know, but they're based in Seattle. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know, something that we deal with all the time is if you try to make every buying decision on the basis of a company's politics, you're going to have a pretty short list of places you can buy from. So, yeah. uh, REI is a great go-to store. Like I said before. Their own branded stuff is always a tremendous value uh, mm-hmm. for what you're getting, and it's a good place to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me encourage everyone to smash those thumbs ups out there. I am gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna push on on the flashbang story, but I want to ask Evan this question while we have him, just in case we never get him to come back on. I hope he will actually <laughs> uh, come back on the show. So, in this line, Evan, if someone's out there. And they're listening or watching this and they want to get a good bag, a good pack. Right. And, you know, they're going out to a store. Or they see something. What What are the things that you would suggest they look at? Right. So if you're actually handling that thing or you're trying to come okay. up with, you know, why would I get this? OK. What are, what are those things you would want that person to look at? Okay, so you got to understand I'm biased towards um, backcountry travel, which means uh, a load of more than 20 pounds. Um, and honestly, for a load of 20 pounds or more, I want it on the waist. Okay. That's just, it, it's just better ergonomically. Uh, so what you're looking for, basically, I look for a belt that does a good job of encircling the pelvic girdle and landing weight on the pelvic girdle. And then there has to be some kind of structure to the bag that drives the load of the bag into that waist belt. Okay. Some kind of frame element, something. Okay. Um, and that, that's real basic, but you're looking for, and by belt, I don't mean a strip of one inch webbing. I'm talking about a good padded belt or a properly contoured belt that encircles that pelvic girdle and then a good frame to, to land it in. From a construction standpoint, um, Probably the thing that I like to look for just to see what the construction is, you turn a bag uh, inside out or look on the inside and you look at the seams. Every time that there's a piece of webbing attached to the bag, I want to see how strongly that piece of webbing is attached to the bag. Uh, It should be landed in a seam and then there should be a bar tack holding that piece of webbing in the seam. And if a bag has those features, Probably the construction overall is pretty good. What's a what? What did you say? A bar tag? 
a bar tack. So that's if you're looking at the stitch line in the seam, and a lot of the stitch lines now are covered with what's called edge binding, where you can't actually see the seam. There's an extra piece of fabric over it. Okay. Um, but a bar tack is like a, a heavy piece of it's like a zigzag stitch. Okay. Um, with a bunch of extra thread, and you want to see that where the webbing enters that seam. And you may have to feel through the edge binding to feel if there's some extra bulk there of a bar tack. And Sean's looking. Yeah. To be able to so that's like coat. that's like looking at the welds on a on a gun or anything else. Let's say right. a rig or something right. that's welded up, making sure there's a right. good uh, weld on there. So um, okay, cool. And then and what else? Well, we'll see if Sean can uh, find that for us here. If he if if he can, I think I have a pretty good idea of of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, it might not be that easy to translate here on video. Yeah, it's covered with the edge binding. I think Sean is why you're. Yeah, it is. So yeah. I, I can't get to it, but it's it's padded. So you there. can feel it if so you if you run your hands under there, you can actually feel it. Like you're saying, there's a. Yeah, there, it's definitely sternly attached. But the, the the thing that I didn't point out earlier and kick myself is that there's padding on the part between me and the bag and the piece of plastic that I carry in my bag. Mm -hmm. Right, so that extra padding uh, yeah. creates a more comfortable experience for the user who might be carrying something for 20 miles and 7,000 feet of elevation gain. Uh, that is another wonderful feature. Right. Okay. So, okay. So other than the bar tack, I think is what you're calling right. it. Um, what are the other things that someone should look for? Uh, honestly, for me, it's a big turnoff if there's a whole bunch of compartments Mm -hmm. uh, because that tells me that a clothing designer or somebody who didn't spend a lot of time in the outdoors was the one who put that bag together, and it's probably going to be lacking in a number of respects. Um, for the most part, serious backcountry users want fewer compartments, and it takes time and experience to understand that. Um, so if, if the sales pitch is, oh, look at all of these neat little compartments, probably it's not actually that well-designed of a bag. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of a general thing. Uh, the shoulder straps, well, we use a very, very different harness system on our packs from just about anybody else out there. Uh, so I'm biased in that regard. But uh, one thing that a lot of packs have, even packs that don't have a belt, uh, if they have straight cut straps where it's going to cut right in here, that is a point of pain. So if you put on a pack and you're experiencing straight cut straps that are cutting right across there, that's not a very well designed pack. And there's there's some darlings of the pack industry that have that, and they actually have a whole cult of training built up around their company. Sean, you know what I'm talking about, probably. But <laughs> yeah. I, I love it when one of those guys walks past at Shaw Show, and I say, "I'll bet it hurts right here, doesn't?" And they're like, "How did you know?" It's like, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm feeling some pains right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. That's. I think that's good stuff. Was that it? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's. Yeah, I'd like I'll to throw in on top of that, right. Hank, because there's, there's a couple of issues that I ran into over the years. Um, occasionally, you'll want to mount something outside or have something that's quickly accessible. I like the ability to do that. Um, but like Evan said, I, I prefer it more on my belt because lower center of gravity, I can get to it with my hands. And um, also to echo uh, what Evan was saying about all the compartments, you know, um, there are times when you throw down a bag and you've got to get to something quickly. And um, 
especially in medical situations, which, you know, is certainly not unheard of out in the backwoods or in the mountains. Um, when you pull a bag open and you have all of those compartments, it might at some point have seemed like a really good idea to have organization. But if it's not done in a way where you can quickly see everything, it's going to kill you. And, and, you know, when you start thinking about, like, like if you're going out and it's cold outside and you've got a 20-degree uh, or a zero-degree sleeping bag, um, that's going to take up a lot of room. So if you're not mounting it outside the pack or you're trying to cuff it in the pack, you're going to have to have capacity. You're going to have to have the ability to store all that stuff. But I like the ability, like, like Evan said, to have a clean pack where I go in and maybe I have one admin section or something yeah. where, or, or, or like the, the recon bag, mm -hmm. you know, where, where I have ability to throw a snack in there or something like that. I don't want to have to get down, take all my stuff off to try to get into something that I need unless I'm done for a while, unless I'm, you know, either breaking or taking a meal or, or actually uh, setting up camp. So, so that kind of utility, I appreciate that. And comfort above all things, comfort. I mean, um, especially for folks who are, are just starting out, um, you know, it's like riding a horse. If you're not riding a horse for very long and you go out and you ride a horse, you're going to be sore if you do it for a while. Uh, even with a good backpack, if you put enough weight in it, you know, you'll, you'll experience some soreness. Eventually you'll get used to that and you'll appreciate a, a good backpack as opposed to something that's, that's awful. Um, you know, like, like I look at Jansport, I see kids running around uh, in Jansport, not necessarily picking on them as a brand, mm -hmm. but um, but the design of that pack is such that um, the the bag is pulling the shoulders back, it's, it's bending the spine, and the weight is almost solely down uh, at the base of the spine in the lumbar, mm -hmm. uh, and you're not able to put all of that weight on the hips, and uh, that makes a huge difference. Uh, the pain in your back that you feel when you can get that up off of your uh, back and feel it on your hips. It, it really allows you to go a lot further and yeah. accomplish more. And it's probably not you know, a healthy I'm, thing for kids either with, with, no, uh, with their spine development at that time. Go ahead. That Eddie. actually reminds me of one other feature that is super important, and that's torso height adjustability. Um, and basically everybody has a different length of torso. And ideally, even in a pack without a belt, I'm trying to try to load that down kind of onto the top of the pelvis into the lumbar area. Okay. It's better than putting weight on the shoulders and then having to transfer it through the entire spine. That's, that's why all these, all these uh, guys who are career military guys have jacked up spines because the Alice pack does nothing to transfer weight down to the pelvis, nothing yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. So uh, the way that you get uh, that weight loaded where it needs to be, like in your lower lumbar area or on your pelvis, is that you can raise or lower the shoulder harness or the shoulder straps relative to the rest of the bag to adjust it for your actual torso. And that's why in our lineup, our very smallest bag is still torso height adjustable. Hmm. And uh, that, that's a crucial feature to look for. Okay, very cool. Um, all right, so listen, we've got a couple of minutes here. I'm not going to let Sean get away. I'm not going to let Sean get away with it. We want to hear the tent story. So, come on. Give it to us. All right, man. All right. All right yeah. yeah, let's hear it. You got me. Gender rights. Here I go. So, I was the supervisor uh, 
working on a day shift and, and it's always, you know, like the least expected thing that uh, you have going on, right? And calls come out of the blue and your normal Tuesday just turned into potentially one of the worst days of your life. Um, that, that was the job, right? I responded to um, a call for shots fired. And um, there was a story that led up to that. But basically, what I was called to was uh, kind of a KOA campground in um, the southern part of Archuleta County. And um, this place was, you know, several miles out of town. And um, what had happened was a guy pulled in with a pickup truck and a big camper on top of it. He pulled in and he rented a space. And the, the folks just got a weird vibe off of him, enough that um, they called into dispatch. And uh, the dispatcher spoke with them and said, well, we don't, we don't really think that there's any, is, is he breaking any laws or anything like that? No, he's not breaking any laws. He's not violent. He's just, there's something odd about this guy. Boy, were they right. Um, so the dispatcher really didn't help them. So they contacted the Colorado State Patrol. And the Colorado State Patrol dispatched a couple of troopers down to this campground. Now, um, I won't speak about the Colorado State Patrol. You know, they're, they're troopers. Their main job is uh, highway safety and traffic investigations, uh, crashes, stuff like that. Um, I, I don't look at them as a um, primary response to things like domestics and, uh, they don't go to houses, you know, typically for, mm -hmm. for those kind of things. So, so a little bit outside of their wheelhouse, uh, but they, they went out because the dispatcher with the state patrol asked the, uh, reporting party to get the license plate from the, the truck and the guy had given it freely because that was part of the registration process. Right. Mm -hmm. So lo and behold, the truck is stolen out of Arizona. Not only was it stolen, but it was carjacked. It was a violent case, and there's all kinds of alerts going off. Um, the two troopers got there, and they walked across, you know, and this is along a Lower Blanco River, uh, kind of a stretch in between that and the main highway, Highway 84 there. And um, there's a lot of people in a lot of different spaces, you know, uh, and they go up, and this guy has set up a tent, and he's crawling into his tent just as the two troopers walk up, and they confront him. Sir, we need to speak with you. He dies in the tent. And the next thing they hear is a gunshot. So both of them crap, run into the bushes, and call for backup. Shots fired. Well, that's the one thing that gets everybody rolling like you wouldn't believe, and um, we all did. Um, there were state troopers. Uh, I think we emptied out the entire southwest corner of Colorado. Uh, people from Silverton, Durango, Cortez, um, over Wolf Creek Pass. I mean, I smelled brakes for probably the next 30 minutes from, from troopers that had rolled in 120 miles an hour. Um, but what ended up happening was we had a bit of a stalemate. They had called out to this individual from behind cover and didn't hear anything. So ultimately, we needed to investigate. So they called uh, the sheriff's office. I responded with several deputies. And, um, you know, we all learn from our mistakes, and uh, we, we notice things, and when we're responsible as supervisors, we, 
We try to correct things that we're seeing that are happening. And I, I distinctly remember pulling into that site, knowing what had just transpired, you know, not a few minutes before. And here were people grilling hot dogs and hamburgers <laughs> standing around. Yeah. Smoking You're not messing up my vacation. <laughs> drinking beers, yeah. you know. And, and uh, um, you know, that's Archuleta County. Oh, okay. It totally is. No. And I'm strongly encouraging. I'm, I'm going to tone that way down for you. I'm strongly encouraging my deputy that was on scene that I needed a, uh, a buffer area and that I needed those people cleared out of their um, RFN. Mm-hmm. And um, so that started to happen. And, and we finally established a perimeter. And now we've got the issue of a shot fired and a suspect who is not re- responding to call outs, right? Mm-hmm. We do a, a patented surrounding call out. It's a pretty standard move for, for SWAT operations. But this is not your average SWAT operation, right? This is this is really weird. This is not a structure. This is not uh, anything that I was ever taught. And I even contacted uh, my mentor in SWAT in those days, uh, and and I told him about it after the fact. He's like, "Man, I've never even heard of that. Uh, I never even heard of anyone doing that." But but what we ended up doing is um, approaching uh, with, two, with two teams behind ballistic shields. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a guy on a rifle behind me who was covered, and we had an approaching contact team who uh, consisted of three people. Uh, there was an officer with a shield, uh, there was an officer who was lethal cover, and there was an officer with a knife. And um, what we came up with in, in the immediacy of that situation was we need to establish if this individual is still a threat or if he is not a threat. And we need to take him into custody if he is. Um, so how how are we going to do that? Was to establish lethal cover from from behind cover, and um, have the approach team come up and verify whether he was still a viable threat. So we had one officer from the shield team on the approach break out, cut the tent with a knife, a big knife. And, you know, people joke about um, officers and they make phallic references to uh, knives or people that carry big knives. I'm going to tell you, tents are not easily cut. If you have a quality tent, it is designed to resist. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's not a one slice type of deal you're talking about. No. Yeah. But thankfully, this officer had a very big knife. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't call it a Rambo knife, but it it was a big quality knife and it was sharp. Mm -hmm. He was able to slice jumped back behind the shield line and the other officer popped a flashbang, dropped it in the hole. They retreated back. And for a a second in my life that I will never forget (laughs) that Kelty tent blue with orange trim turned circular. Yeah. I was going to think like, uh, how does that go? Poof. Well, there was it, escape, was the hole, the hole, you can escape because everything seems to... held, yeah. but um, the tent went from a normal tent shape. It was like a four, four or six person tent, like square, basically, with a kind of, uh, you know, a, a tilted roof for rain. And, and that thing went circular for about a split second. And um, after we didn't hear anything, we made the approach 
seeps back through the hole and the individual had taken his own life with that first shot when he was confronted by law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, now, that's the, what I was thinking. I'm sure you guys are thinking that too. We wondered, uh, you know, it was a possibility, but until you see mm -hmm. someone um, no longer as a threat, they, they have to continue mm -hmm. to subsist as a threat. So um, to kind of put a, a, a strange twist on the story, this guy, um, and I don't even remember his name, I don't think it's really even important now, but uh, he had something really bad planned. Um, there were a lot of guns in the camper, uh, shell. There were a lot, there's a lot of ammunition and he had books on sniping and, um, stalking and, and some other really weird stuff. And, um, I don't know what his intentions were, but we kind of bumblingly, uh, happened onto him. And I'm, I'm really happy that we did. I'm happy that nobody got hurt except for him. Um, and, uh, it, it was just a weird story, but, um, the, the concept of breaching a tent uh, was something that you know we we'd never had to deal with before. We'd never had to confront that. So yeah, that's that, crazy. That, I'm not saying how we did was the best way. Um, I'm not even saying it was a good way, but that's how we did it, and um, everybody walked. Yeah, away. I'm sure the coroner wasn't happy with you. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that didn't help that situation. Okay, so listen, there you go. You guys got the story. Uh, we are over the nine o'clock hour, so I do want to wrap up, uh, you know, because, I mean, obviously we had these guys here for two hours. So I'm going to do that. If uh, For the folks who are still hanging out with us, smash the thumbs ups and all that kind of stuff. What I'm going to do here is ask these guys to tell you all how, you know, how you could find out about them, support them, contact them, etc. I'm going to start with you, Evan. For the folks out there that want to follow up, how can they do that? Great. Yeah. So, uh Hill People Gear, our website, is the first place to go. Um, if you want to connect with us in other ways, one of the big tiles right there on our website says connect, and that'll take you to a page that'll get you set up Instagram, our Facebook groups, our MeWe groups, um, our, our YouTube channel. So Hill People Gear, and then from there, just start exploring. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Sean, uh, same question to you. How can the folks out there uh, connect with you, follow you, see your work? Absolutely. You can get me on um, American Survival Guide in print. I also write for the Glock Annual. If you can get a copy of that, it's out now for 2021. Um, please go check that out. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out was uh, the article on guns.com. If you guys had head over there, check out that article on Biden. You can also see my article where I cover the uh, recon bag from Hill People Gear there. You can also get me on PewPew Tactical and PoliceOne.com. Absolutely. Um, oh, and AR15.com. I have more and more videos coming out there. Awesome. There you go. Okay, so listen, uh, I'm going to roll in the end here so that no one go anywhere. Big shout out to all the folks who are here watching us. Um, this has been actually a fun, enjoyable show. Uh, I hope we can actually get Evan to come back on here. We can show you guys more bags. When the new stuff comes out, we can talk to you guys about that. Um sure. Uh, my thanks to Walther Arms for allowing us to, uh, helping us to do this. Uh, we really do appreciate their support here. Um, let me see. I'm going to run in the end, and we're going to be right back for the final word, uh, which I think we'll probably give it to Evan, so that gives you some time, Evan. Let me run the end in here. <laughs> uh, make sure you guys subscribe to the channel here. Smash the thumbs-ups. 
Uh, leave comments with us. We appreciate that. We will rip the audio out of this and put it up on your favorite place to listen to your audio podcast, iTunes, etc. Uh, big shout out to all the folks out there around the world that are listening to us. We appreciate you guys. Uh, all the folks out there uh, that are saying this is a, a, a great show. Thanks to them, uh, especially yeah, Honey Bunches. Much. Big shout out to Honey Bunches out there for hanging out with us. Uh, Evan, I will give you the last word, sir. What would you like the folks? What would you like to leave All right, folks well, with? It's ironic because we're on the internet, mm-hmm. but unplug from the damn internet. Turn your television off. Go outside and figure some things out. Amen. Amen to that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. We appreciate you. We're out of here, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Peace.